because you're jumping back into the gut. All right. Hey, Coach. Welcome to the Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Oliver. I appreciate you joining us for this week's podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit basketballimmersion.com for more coaching resources and access to all the basketball podcasts. I hope you will give us a shout out on social media, on Twitter at Bball Immersion, or on Instagram at Basketball Immersion to help me continue to share the game. Enjoy the episode. Coach is super excited to have Dale Wellman with us, head coach at Nebraska Wesleyan University. They were the 2018 Division III National Champions, and he was the 2018 Coach of the Year, National Coach of the Year. And uh, just for a little background, because I think it gives great coach context to this conversation, Coach Wellman's system took the program to 22 wins in 2015-16, his first year. And that's the most in 18 years there. And then amazingly, four years later, won the Division Three National Championship. Coach, welcome to the podcast. Thanks a lot for having me on. I appreciate it. Obviously, tremendous success and uh, incredible turnaround there at uh, Nebraska Wesleyan in terms of getting the program to the top. And uh, we'll get into this. But the main reason, Coach, we wanted to get you on is the offense. I mean, just incredible stuff to watch and, and great. And let's start with this. Fast freedom don't usually go with Princeton offense. No, you're absolutely right. And it's been, you know, it was a process to get to where we got to a few years ago. And it started, you know, way back. Uh, I've been very fortunate to have worked for some great and been exposed to some great offensive coaches. Uh, and when I became a young head coach, you know, I worked for Jeff Neubauer at Eastern Kentucky, who worked for, for Beeline. And, and when he became the head coach at Eastern Kentucky, you know, we put in the two-guard stuff that Beeline at the time was running at West Virginia. And he actually ran it into Princeton, uh, a little different than, uh, than Beeline did. And I love that. That was great. And, and that's kind of what I did be, when I became a young head coach. But what I realized was that wasn't necessarily my personality. I wanted to play faster. I mean, um, I was a college point guard myself. You wouldn't believe it if you saw me, but, but I was. And I love pushing the basketball. I love playing fast. And, you know, I, I finally came to where, hey, one year we decided to run some dribble drive motion and, and do some Paul Westhead type of uh, numbered breaks so we could get out and play faster. Uh, and we had a lot of success, but it didn't fit my personality perfectly. I, when I took the job here at Nebraska Wesleyan the next year, um, you know, I wanted to try. It was a clean slate and I wanted to try to uh, put both of them together uh, the year before when we averaged about 94 points at Alfred University. Um, but I wanted to, but we were running dribble drive motion and, and uh, number break, but I wanted to get back to what really fit my personality, which was kind of two guard, but two guards slowed it down a little when I ran it into Princeton. So, you know, we went to Princeton, we tried to take away some of the false motion and just get to the principles and spacing uh, that I liked. Uh, and fortunately we had a team then that was really, um, open to whatever I threw at them. And they bought into it hook, line, and sinker uh, from day one and allowed us to start playing fast within Princeton. Um, and it's, uh, you know, it's been that way since. We obviously tweak it every year kind of to our personnel, uh, but we always want to make sure that, that we're playing fast and running some Princeton action. I love that. And I want to get into some of the tweaks and some of the different influences as well. But uh, the other part that if you've listened to the podcast coaches, they've heard me say this and that's structure or freedom comes from structure. Freedom comes from structure. So the actual structure of the Princeton 
gives your players the freedom to be able to make the decisions and play fast because they know they've got this understanding of the basic concepts. Is that how you apply this concept to playing fast? Yes. No, we want to make sure that they have the freedom. We, I do like structure, structure in our break. I mean, we talk about two tempo a lot. Uh, we want to play fast when it is a long rebound or, or turnover. We'll do it a little bit differently than if it's a made shot or rebound under the hoop. But we want structure. We want guys uh, to know where they're supposed to go and know what they're supposed to do and know what other guys within the offense, whether it's in transition or whether it's in the half, half court, are doing. But we don't want them to be robots. Uh, we want to give them freedom uh, to play and have different options. And I think when you start allow, if you want to play fast, you have to give some guys some freedom. When I first decided to kind of make the the transition from running two guard into Princeton, and that that's when there was a longer shot clock as well uh, to play fast. Like you have to learn how to play fast. So I called up a lot of different coaches, and yeah, I wish I could remember the guy's name. He was the head assistant for the women's. Um, team at UMass Lowell uh, that this was like in, I don't know, maybe 2012. Uh, I called up uh, UMass Lowell's head coach and, and she directed me, they were playing fast, directed me to her, to her lead assistant. And, and the one thing he said was, is you're going to have to, if you want to play fast, you're going to have to sit back, can't coach every possession. You're going to have to let your guys have a little bit of freedom. And that really resonated with me, not just when I was trying to te- teach uh, transition offense, um, but also within the half court. Uh, we want to make sure, you know, at the end of the game, the other team's not just saying, hey, they ran really good stuff, but they lost by 10 um, because we were just robots out there. We we want to make sure that our guys are being able to play to their abilities and give them freedom to do that, whether that's driving, whether that's making a read where they feel like they can post up and stay posted up or or shoot. You know, for us, any un- any unaltered jump shot is in an open shot. Uh, we don't care how close the guy is to you if you can take an – on altered jump shot, you're open. Um, and we want guys to know that. Like We get freshmen in here and, and we'll blow the whistle and we'll be like, why didn't you take that shot? Um, could you have got it off without that guy blocking it, normal jump shot? Yeah, well, then you were open and take that. Um, you know, there are times we have guys that, that might vacuum cut or tight curl off some of our action uh, and they run out to the other side. And I'm like, well, why didn't you post that? Um, make sure. Make sure you're looking to post that. Don't just automatically do one thing. Make sure that you're thinking and being able to do other things as well because we want to make sure that, that that guys are playing to their strengths, whatever they might be. I love that phrasing on ultra jump shot. And we're come back to shot selection, but let's stay with the numbered break a little bit then. Uh, so is it still a numbered break? Because you talked about the Loyola Marymount influence. And then within that, is it designated spots uh, for specific players? It is. I'd say the one difference from when I first put it in to if you watch some of our film the past couple of years is we don't run, um, you know, the three man to the opposite block. I did that early on um, and I liked it, uh, but we stopped doing that. I, you know, we originally did that. So if we took a shot in transition, push, push it up one side and, you know, he's in great offensive rebounding position. I'm a, I'm a big, big offensive rebounding uh, proponent. Um, but what we did is we just run them to the wing and then if the shot went up, uh, because we preach getting eight feet in the paint so much offensive rebound, he can run in there. That's the one difference from when I first started doing it. But yes, there are specific spots that guys need to go to. And that's, you know, if you want to play fast in transition, you, you need to have a plan. Uh, and, and once you have a plan, then you obviously have to practice that plan. 
uh, in different situations. So our guys know after a made shot exactly where they're going. They're, they know on a rebound that's right under the rim, you know, where they're looking to throw the ball and where they're looking at running. Like I said, sometimes it's a long rebound or it's tipped around a little bit and, um, or you get a turnover and then we, it might be a three on two, four on three, what we call a primary break here. And then you're not necessarily running to those spots. You might have to fill those spots, but our guys know all the different spots on the court. They'll learn everything. Um, but they're very much, um, we try to make it automatic for them. Uh, rebound under the hoop, made basket. They know exactly where they're going and they're sprinting and getting there. Modern breaks run to corners too. Is that a part of this philosophy? No, uh, we don't run to corners. We'll run to our Princeton spots. Uh, so if good, because that was the question is kind of like with Princeton, you wouldn't traditionally run to the corners. Right. So we're running to our Princeton spots, uh, throwing it ahead. And that'll, that allows us to, if we can throw it ahead, you know, we still have the opportunity to drive the baseline and get what we call a Princeton pass along the baseline to, to the other corner. The guy would drift down to the corner then, but we're not running to the corners. We're running to our wings. So we, we don't really have a secondary break. If, um, if teams do what they're supposed to do and transition defense and stop us, that's fine. We want to be able to flow directly from that numbered break right into our Princeton. You also talked about uh, there's a difference on makes and misses. Can you explain a little bit of the differences? Uh, well, makes and misses, I, I, you know, I think when the ball goes through the hoop, even though, you know, we try to get the ball out as quickly as possible, but there is that half second where we're able to get exactly where we need to go. Uh, misses, you know, whether it's a rebound under the hoop, um, you know, we want our guys to still try to have the mentality to play fast and they're able to get a dribble down. We might be able to outlet uh, a little farther up the court, um, but just that kind of split second, uh, depending on where the rebound may go, um, you know, we'll kind of, um, you know, our guys need, need that extra half second to know exactly where to go. In a lot of ways, we, we don't want the other team to score, but I feel like we're best kind of in transition and, and, and passing up the court, passing with a purpose um, after a made basket. Again, we, we don't necessarily want to give up made, made hoops, uh, but I feel like we do a great job. There, there's less, um, for lack of a better word, confusion uh, then when there's a rebound and it's going into different places, we always know exactly where the ball is going to be taken out, where we're throwing it and, and being able to push it up the court. So uh, the Princeton offense is remarkably modern in the sense of modern analytics, right? Like sh shoot at the rim or shoot a three. Is that part of what's helped your philosophy and helped your team succeed? Because obviously you shoot a high percentage of threes, but it seems like you guys get to the rim a ton as well. Well, yes, and I think that's changed a little with recruiting. We, we've been able to um, kind of recruit a taller, longer guy since we've been here. When I first got here, um, we shot a lot of threes. I think in 2016, and uh, I think it was like 29 games, 20, 30 games, you know, we shot about 1,100 threes. Uh, we're closer to about 800 now because we have guys that are able to get to the rim. But what we really preach um, is posting up. We really love to post our perimeters up and – and get close shots to the rim or to get to the line. Um, so as much as we as much as we preach trying to drive and get to the rim, we really really try to preach uh, posting up and getting close shots to the rim that way. So we like to post our perimeters because, um, you know, you know, past few years our point guard's been six four, which at our level is a pretty decent size. But even if he's going against a six two or six three guy. Uh, that's a, somebody that's not necessarily used to guarding in the post, and we want to take advantage of that. We'll post up guys that are 6'1 against other guys that are 6'1. I mean, if you're going to do it 
six nine guy against a six nine guy who's used to guarding the post. Why not do it with a six one guy against a six one guy who's might not be used to uh, uh, to guarding in the post. Um, but that's one thing, you know, going back to what I said earlier about uh, Jimmy Tillett, and I've never met the guy, um, but I was at Eastern Kentucky uh, when he was at Sanford, and he had some good teams there in the, you know, kind of the early to mid-2000s. And I just fell in love with the way those guys posted up. They just did an absolutely wonderful job, and they were tough, hard-nosed guys. Um, now, we post up a little differently than they did, but I just remember, you know, e- even our coaching staff, and, and I worked for a great defensive coach that first year, and Travis Ford, um, you know, just talking about how we needed to guard those things and, and how those they cut so hard and posted up, and it was just hard to guard, and that always stuck with me. Uh, and then the past three years, we've gotten a little taller and longer um, so we could get some shots close to the rim or maybe get fouled. Um, we really focused on posting up. Well, and imagining, especially from watching some of your film, a lot of the post-ups come off of cuts and curlbacks and deep seals because they're coming off of movement rather than stationary trying to fight for position. That's something that you emphasize, I'm assuming, in terms of how you try and get post-ups? Absolutely. So a lot, you know, and it's one of those things, too, like I was talking about in transition, you have to have a plan and then you have to practice it. You know, we had to go back, and, and I'm 5'11 myself. I played point guard. I, I didn't post up a lot in college, and I wouldn't say um, that I was an expert on, on teaching guys how to post up. Um, but within Princeton, we started studying uh, different ways to do it, and that's, uh, you know, if you're coming off a tight curl on kind of that split screen after you hit the pinch post, um, you know, there's different ways now that we know that guys can guard us. Are, are, are they going to be tight and try to blow up that screen and go over top? We feel like if so. We can keep curling that. Uh, are they going to go under if that's the case? Then we want to make sure that we find that guy and, you know, put our butt on him and drive him. And we try to post up in that situation when we hit the pinch post and go away right in the middle of the lane. Um, if they switch, we tell our guys to run at the guy that they're switching and then drive them back with our butt um, right in the middle, you know, going towards that kind of charge arc uh, uh, down there. Um what we've started to do too is, you know, when we do kind of reject that split screen uh, for what we call a vacuum cut, and when we go down, if we're cutting hard and that guy's staying with us, we call it a hop in front. We'll stop on a dime. And whereas Sanford seemed like they used to kind of throw the leg around, we'll just stop and hop right in front. That guy's momentum on defense is still going a little bit. And we're right there shoulder to shoulder with them, but on the wrong side. So we'll stop on a dime and hop in front. And those are things that we practice every day. And what I found is guards who've never had the opportunity to really post up, at least in our practices, it seems like they love practicing those things and, you know, getting banged down low with the pad and, and, and they really have some fun with it. And I think that's, that that's all kind of helped. No, it's a great thing to, to connect for us is that the, the guards love to post up, especially the ones that get good at it. Uh, shot selection, you mentioned unaltered jump shots on the perimeter. Can you define shot selection a little bit for us in the post? Yeah, in the post, um, I, I mean, once we get the ball into the post, um, I mean, I'm fine with pretty much any shot. If we can get the shot up, uh, that that's great. I mean, if teams uh, are going to – obviously, the, there's a couple guys that we've had in the past. They get it down there, and they'll double, and they'll go down. Then we'll kick it out. Um, but if you can get a shot off in the post, that's fine. I mean, Nate Shimon has just graduated for us. And, 
the reason I bring him up is he's somebody I don't think he ever used the post move in his life. He would just get the ball down and he would just turn over one of the two shoulders and he was able to just kind of elevate over over the defender and shoot a great shot. Um, although there's no way I could have done that or or other guys on the team, but that was a great shot for him. Other guys needed to make kind of a move in the post to be able to get a shot off, which is fine. Um, but if teams are going to double down, going to collapse because teams know that we we post up a lot, then, hey, you know what you talked about earlier, um, getting shots close to the rim, but also being able to kick it out. And, and I think our guys are unselfish like that. Football is in full effect with many teams starting their stuff early. The NBA finals are here and the MLB playoffs are in full swing. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on everything imaginable this season. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Bet Online, your online sports book experts. Another curious thing that I've heard you say, and it may be different now because this may be from a few years ago, but you said basically that you focused on one of the series of Princeton. Say you ran 90% of the time point series so that you could get really good at that. Is that still the philosophy in terms of what you do? Yes. Well, yes and no, I should say. I'm very much a point series guy, and every year that is what we start. You know, I I heard Chris Mooney talk earlier this year about how he always teaches – the low post series first, and then he goes into kind of the point series afterwards. Um, and I kind of was wondering, well, am, am I doing it wrong? I do it the other way. And then finally I, I was just like, you know what? He's probably right. Uh, I mean, he knows it and, and did it in college and everything. Um, but this is the way I feel comfortable coaching it. So we're, we always teach the point series first. Uh, I do think that the point series allows us to play a little bit faster. Um, so we always teach that first. Um, and typically, because of the way we play, usually until this past season, um, we usually have a shorter guy at our five man. Uh, so it's not someone that we're trip- typically trying to post up, although I said we could post up any size. Um, but it's usually kind of like a second point guard for us, really. Um, you know, Ryan Garver, 2019, led Division Three in assists, but he was our five man. Uh, he was also the guy that we posted up uh, the least. Um, so we really try to focus on that so we could get really good at it. I feel like it allows us to play faster within the half court than maybe low post series. This year we had six, eight guys. So we went low post series a little bit. So we might be able to get sneak in a, uh, um, an early post opportunity w- w- within the offense. Um, but, you know, this year, whenever we end up playing, um, I expect to go right back to the point series and, and run that 90% of the time. Uh, it's been good for us, like I said allows us uh, uh, to play fast. Um, it also allows us to play different guys and in, in different positions. Um, I mean, you come here, everyone's learning the one through five for us. Everyone gets to know it. Um, but I do like uh, the point series a lot. It's great. Cause the other, I imagine the other benefit is that your players get really good at understanding the reads and decisions and playing off of each other within that series. Well, I, I think that's it. You know, we, one of the reasons that we play uh, people all all five positions is because a lot of times when you're a cutter, uh, like you might understand, like, oh, I, I thought I was open there, but I didn't get the ball. Um, you know, or, or maybe if you're just what we call the step back guy, 
Uh, you thought you were open, but you didn't get the ball in time to get a shot up, but then you got it for, you know, a ball screen. Um, but when you play all the positions, I feel like you can understand what the other positions are seeing and understanding a little bit. Maybe I'm reading way too much into it, um, but I do think that it helps um, as the cutter knowing what that five man's thinking when he might be making the pass. And I think it helps as a five man to kind of understand what the cutter's going through because he's done that position a lot. And, and going back to the point, I should have said it before, um, you know, people will look a lot of times without watching us play and they'll, they'll, they'll see the numbers that we put up or averaging in the 90s and they think that we play a certain way. And what I've always told people is there's more than one way to play slow. Um, there's also one, more than one way to play fast. And within Princeton, um, you, you know, you'll, you'll watch a lot of our stuff that, that, that might be out there and, and rarely do they ever show the um, uh, fast breaks that, that we try to teach in our two tempo offense. But what will happen is you might see a guy just casually jog up the court and make that, you know, send the brush cutter through and, and make that uh, push pass to the pinch post and then run either over or away. Um, but I think the majority of the time is we're scoring on like two, two passes. Uh, we're trying to teach these guys to, pat, like I said earlier, pass with a purpose and really see the offense. Um, and I think Jimmy Tillette said in, in his podcast, you know, a very narrow kind of, you're not looking at everything at once, you know, exactly where the openings might be. And to be able to get a shot up within two or three passes. So even though it doesn't necessarily look like a very fast possession, we're still getting a shot up in maybe seven or eight seconds, um, you know, which is a different way of playing fast than just flying up the court and, and um, you know, trying to get in, kick it out, drive in again and kick it out. Um, it's a little more controlled, but we're still playing uh, relatively fast in those half-court situations, if that makes sense. It makes sense. And, and I love your explanation of why players benefit from playing each position because it strikes me as that's like the difference between sympathy and empathy, right? Like you, you can really empathize for someone who doesn't get the ball because you've been in that position now and you really understand it. Uh, so that's, that's really cool. And I think something to look at for all coaches to be able to implement within their offense in some way. Yeah, absolutely. I think everyone, I think that's a great way. I've never heard, heard it put that way, but I think that's absolutely um, the right way to say it. And we probably said it in, in, uh, much less eloquent, eloquent way to, uh, to our guys is you know what that guy was doing or you know what that guy saw. We need to either get him the ball or you've been in that position right there. Uh, there's no reason you should have made that pass, um, you know, one way or the other. But, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a great point for teaching offense. So you said you can't, you can't, you've said this multiple times. You can't just say you want to play fast. You must drill it. So can you explain a little bit what that looks like in practice in terms of you developing this concept of playing fast? Sure. Um, and that, that was something, you know, when I decided to play fast, I think I might've said it earlier, I, I needed to learn how to coach. You can't just say it. So I, I try to call up different, different places and, and steal an idea here and steal an idea here there. And, you know, now, I mean, we really try to put our guys in situations uh, in practice where they have to play fast. We try to drill it. We'll start out five on O, even with the, uh, um, you know, Paul Westhead, uh, five on O, hey, we're going five possessions of the court. And, you know, we might start at 30, 32 seconds, get it down to 30 seconds, five rotations, just trying to drill playing fast. And that's very 
early on in the season. When we get started in practice this week, I mean, that's going to be some of the some of the stuff we're doing, just trying to drill, playing fast, looking ahead, dribbling fast, making sure that our point guard catches the ball free throw line extended or above. We call the free throw line extended below kind of the dead area where we don't want our point guard to, to catch the ball, you know, especially after a made shot, um, you know, where the ball is getting taken out of bounds. We want to make sure that we're pushing it up. Uh, but then put them in situations where they can play fast. And a lot of times, you know, you have to force those a little bit with your drills, whether it's um, making, you know, a simple five on four kind of rush where guys, you know, touching the baseline and trying to get back into the, um, trying to get back into the play or even half court situations. Um, you know, we have a drill that um, we call cherry picker with juice where we line up two teams. Um, they're basically facing each other with the free throw, I mean, the midcourt line right in front of them. And we'll throw it to one side, and the whoever's in front of them has to go back. He's the cherry picker going back on on offense. And then you have eight seconds to uh, to get a good shot, um, and that's it. Uh, going down there, obviously, the defense is scrambling around. Um, but it's teaching, uh, teaching our guys to play fast within a half-court situation where, and you've heard me say it, pass for the purpose. And there's different, you know, we throw that out there, but then we have to make sure that we're telling our guys what pass with a purpose means. Um, there's different purposes to pass the ball. Obviously, basic one is throw it to the guy that's open so he can score. Uh, but sometimes it might be, hey, you know, and th this is a great drill to kind of show this, but then it, it can be talked about in, in the full court as well. You might have to pass with a purpose where you see two guys on one side, but there's one defender. So you see they have an advantage. So that's passing with a purpose. Maybe there's two guys on one side and two defenders, but you're passing with a purpose because that guy has a better angle to get it to the next guy who might be able to score. Um, you might in the full court talk about passing with a purpose to turn a five on five into a four on three. That might be the purpose that, that, that you're passing with there. But I think once you learn passing with a purpose in the half court and then full court, it allows you to play a little faster again. Hopefully that makes sense. I think we probably do a better job explaining it over the course of the season than I did there in the past two minutes. Um, but passing with a purpose allows us, I think, to play faster and just putting our guys in situations where we can turn a five on five into a five on four or a three on three on two or whatever it may be in, in the half court and the full court just by us pushing ball and passing with purpose. No, it's great, Coach. And, and I think the, the, the best part about you having defined shot selection or you having defined pass with a purpose is that your players know what it means. Rather than just us saying a, a phrase or a term, you define it so that they actually know what that means. And we talk about that a lot, you know, on this podcast when we talk about playing fast. Well, we can say it, but what does that actually mean? Does it mean running full speed to this spot what does that actually mean for your players and that helps them so no i'm glad you've said that and you've defined that for us yeah absolutely and it's one of those things i, I i'm often i'm obviously an offensive minded coach that that's just the way you know i'm wired um you know when i look at a game that that's just the way i view it uh, even if i'm just being the casual fan that you know i'm, I'm watching the offense uh, not necessarily you know what they're doing on ball screens or anything like that um and so, you know, we're trying to think about that all the time. And if I want to go out and tell our team, hey, we want to be the best offensive team in the conference, or even as arrogant as it may sound, we want to try to be the best, you know, offensive team in the country. Um, you know, I can't do that and then go out and 
practice, you know, shell drill for an hour and a half every day. We have to really focus on our offense every single day in practice uh, and get after it 75, 80% of the time. I'm not saying the defense isn't important. That, that, that's what some people take when I say that. Defense is obviously very important. Um, but along the same lines is, is if, if we say something and we want to be the best offensive team in the conference or country or whatever it may be, we have to go out and, and, and preach what, uh, you know, do what we preach. And that's, and that's practicing. Well, and the other part that goes with that, that I share a lot with coaches is like this two-way coaching that you're going to do anyways, right? To get really good at offense, you have to play defense in practice. So you're not neglecting defense, but your focus is on let's, let's get as good as we can get on offense. And by and large, doesn't that help your defense anyways? Absolutely. Well, you know, a couple of things along with that, uh, you know, the past three years, we, we've run zone. Uh, we've run a 3-2 zone, um, you know, pretty much primarily, probably 90, 95% of the time. Um, so people think that, you know, we just don't have a man uh, because we run zone all the time. We preach man in practice. We, we do shell drill. We go through, we break it down. We do all those things because when we run our offense – uh, we want to make sure that we're running against a really good man defensive team, as good of a man defensive team as possible, because when we go to play those teams in our conference and, and that are really defensive minded, we have to make sure that, hey, you know, uh, we're not fooling ourselves into thinking that we're good on offense just because we're playing bad defense in practice. Uh, we want to make sure we can do it uh, against good man in practice. We can do it against good man in the games. Um and although we run, we have run very, very little man the past three years, um, you know, we, we have to practice both. I, I will say, I think this isn't the reason that I started going to the 3-2 zone, um, but it's definitely a benefit is, um, you know, it does allow us more time in practice every day to, to break down the offense, to do different offensive drills, just a little different, um, uh, little different way to teach defense when it's zoned compared to man-to-man and it's been uh you know it's really helped us offensively I think by by playing some zone although that wasn't the reason that I went to it I'm glad you said that because that's exactly what I was thinking and what I was going to ask you is I used we used to play man-to-man but we used to switch everything because it just simplified everything so we could spend more time on offense and that's not to neglect the complexity of the 3-2 zone or switching on defense or man-to-man. But, like, if you want to be an offensive coach to a certain extent, and I think a lot of high school coaches should look at that too and just say, hey, let's get really good at offense. Because you know what? Doesn't that lead to your team enjoying practice more and probably playing the game more? And I've always focused a lot on that component of athlete satisfaction. You're a Division three coach. You don't own them. You want them to enjoy the experience of playing. So what do they enjoy? I'm imagining they enjoy playing offense in your system, don't they? Absolutely. And, and we try, I mean, even in the recruiting process, we try to tell guys, hey, you know, do you like offense? Everybody says yes. Hey, well, then this, this is the place for you. Like, come, like, we'd love for it for you to come to a game, but come to a practice. Like, uh, so, you know, I'm not just blowing smoke. Like, come to a practice and see how our practices are. And I think not only will you see a lot of offensive stuff, but I think exactly what you said, you'll see our guys enjoying practice. Um, because they like those things. And, um, you know, when we do defensive things in practice, uh, you know, no one's like rolling their eyes or anything because they know, hey, we're going to go hard. We're going to do this, do this, and then get right back to an offensive drill. Uh, they know what's right around the corner if they, you know, bust their hump and get after it is, hey, hey we're, we're, 
we're going to have another shooting drill. We're going to have another transition drill, whatever it may be. Uh, so we're always trying to get guys to practice in the recruiting process because of those things you said. I think they like seeing that. And I think just, um, you know, they see the guys having fun, smiling, practice, while at the same time going hard and being focused. And, uh, you know, hopefully that can help us a little bit in the recruiting process. Yeah, I love that. And no doubt it does, for sure. Uh, you, you mentioned shooting it, say, within two two passes. And I'm just curious, uh, possession length-wise, do you have a breakdown or do you have an understanding, say, if you shoot it within, say, the first two to three passes versus you shoot it, say, four to six passes? Do you get better offense within the first two to three passes, do you find? I think we do. I yeah. think our first couple looks and, and – Maybe it's because we preach it so much in practice. I think we get great looks. We're typically might say, hey, longer in a possession, someone might, you know, might be another opportunity for a breakdown, whatever, and you can get a good look late. Um, but I feel like our first couple passes, that that's our bread and butter. And when you start watching, you know, some of our games and some of our better possessions, I think you're going to see that, whether it's just on a typical vacuum, uh, which is where we reject. Uh, we're trying to we say vacuum because we're trying to cut so hard that we – not only suck our man with us, but we suck the other defender with us. Um, you know, whether it's just hitting that simple back door or the guy for a step back for a shot or being able to post up or if they're cramming everybody into the paint, like we have the skip to the corner for the brush cutter. Uh, we call it Coop's Corner. Uh, Cooper Cook made a living. He was the MVP of the Final Four, made a living just sitting in that corner after a brush cut. And people would try to take away a lot of stuff in the lane and we would just skip it to that corner for threes. Um, you know, a lot of our breakdown drills, when we go three on O, three on one, three on two, and even three on three are designed to look at those initial, um, you know, passes out of the pinch post. And I think that's one of the reasons, um, and, and we do those obviously every day. Um, those are the reasons that I think we're best at that and, and probably get our best looks from those. So the other thing that struck me, which which I really enjoyed watching your team uh, for the last few years, but uh, like sometimes as coaches, we describe like the perfect offensive possession as like multiple ball reversals. And what I, I personally kind of think those that's overrated and the perfect offensive possession is honestly as few passes as possible and get a high percentage shot. And when I watched your team play, that's what struck me is like, again, you're not messing around with all these false motions, you're getting right to the point of trying to attack to score within Princeton. And it's tremendous to watch. Well, no, and, and, you know, you, you say that right there about, um, you know, reversing the basketball. And I'm like, wow, that's kind of weird. Like, because I never think of that. Like we've never once said that in my seven years, you know, going into my seventh year said, Hey, we have to reverse the basketball. Now once Um, again, we want to, uh, we want to play fast, so we're not worried about those things. We want to score score quicker, you know. Um, now, just like we're two-tempo in, in the full court, like we want to push, we want to get um, shots in transition. I mean, if we can do that every time, great. Um, but it's not going to happen in college basketball teams, especially teams we play are too good in transition. You know, we'll pull it out, run our offense. It's the same thing, you know, within the offense, too. Like, we want to be two-tempo there if we – We'd really like to get a good shot within, you know, two, three passes. Uh, but there are good defensive teams out there. If they take that away, uh, we like to think that we can still continue our offense and get a good shot, you know, later on within the shot clock. 
Talk to me about the influence of dribble drive. You talked about that. And then when I watch your team play again, there are definitely opportunities and your players take advantage of that opportunities to be able to drive the ball to score. Uh, can you talk about that? Does that come from dribble drive a little bit to be able to implement that mentality into the Princeton? It does. Um, you know, and we had uh, Nick Sheminitz was a 2000 point scorer for us. Um, six, four point guard. And he had an unbelievable knack again to the rim. So again, we want to play to, to our strengths. So, you know, a lot of times we would just start out well, still what we call Princeton. Um, and, and to be honest, I think I saw a high school tape of a Dave Fosher practice up in New Hampshire uh, that was sent to me once. And it kind of combined these things. So, I, I mean, I kind of stole it. It's, it's definitely nothing I came up with um, where we kind of send that brush cutter through, but we don't send um, you know, the, uh, the five man up to the pinch post and it just opens this double gap where, um, you know, we have the opportunity to drive the basketball and drive it early again in the clock where we can score quickly and, and, uh, again, allow, uh, you know, our, our all American to play to his strengths, which is getting to the rim and, and finishing around there or getting fouled. He's a great free throw shooter getting to the line. Um, but if they do take that away, uh, we can get into our jungle action in Princeton uh, pretty quickly. Uh, so it is kind of a hybrid there, although we, we never use that term with our guys, um, but just something where, again, we kind of can tweak the Princeton offense um, to play to our strengths. Um, we'll see how much we do that. He's graduated now. We'll see how much we do that with, uh, w- with our new team. Maybe not as much, um, but it's something that, you know, our guys can – uh, can kind of call real quickly out on the court. I don't necessarily have to be the guy to say, hey, th- this is what we're doing right here. You've talked about tweaking it to personnel, and I'm wondering, do you tweak it uh, game by game a little bit for opponent to take advantage of advantages? We do. We'll, we'll, we'll tweak it a couple different ways. Uh, I mean, if you're looking at the broader sense of the season, we'll do certain things and um, certain reads and uh, non-conference play. Uh, we might actually keep a little bit more basic and non-conference play where teams might not have, you know, seen us as seen us as much. Um, but then once we get into conference, uh, there's a few of our reads that we might tweak um, because they have seen us year after year, a couple times, two or three times a year, uh, change it up a little bit. And then we'll, we'll try to change uh, different things depending on not just who we're playing, um, but maybe how long we've run a certain action. And it, it's just very, a lot of times it's very little, um, you know, very little things that, that we're tweaking uh, just within, first of all, just us within our offense. And maybe once we return it, dribble spin, it keys this action. Whereas, you know, in the past it would have keyed a different action, uh, trying to trying to keep, uh, keep the other teams on the toes a little bit. But also, you know, some teams will get out and uh, really deny us, play us hard, and make us have a lot of more backdoor cuts or or what we call double backdoors after that first action. Um, you know, they'll really pop out so we can't hit the guy for a ball screen, and then we get a double backdoor action. So that's another way we need to tweak it and, and practice going into those things. Um, and then there's other teams that we know that we'll just have some height on, and we want to make sure that, you know, we're, we're giving them different actions or keying different things that will lead to post-ups, what we call hopping fronts on back doors. Um, so during this game, hey, if we put more of those things in, we'll have more opportunities to post up. So we do, like I said, just to summarize, we uh, tweak it over the course of the season, but we'll also tweak it even in the, 
the shorter kind of conference season, depending on who will play. Exactly. Love it. Love it. And uh, the other part that I, I read and which I love and want to hear some more about is that you keep score in everything in practice. Can you talk about some of the things that you found most effective in terms of keeping score in practice to be able to emphasize the things you want? Right. Um, we'll always give a negative point for a turnover. I mean, no, no coach in the country obviously likes turnovers. Um, we want to make our practices extremely competitive. Um, we have some extremely competitive guys. They're all good friends, but w- when they're in between the lines, they want to get after it. Um, and I think they really just, I like the competition. I mean, I'm a competitive guy. My wife doesn't play games with me because of it, but, and I think our guys kind of feed off that a little bit and have that own competitive spirit in them. And so we'll always keep negative points for turnovers. Um, and what we'll also do is we always keep an extra point for offensive rebounds because, or we'll also do this and we don't necessarily do this every time, but we do this probably the majority of the time. If we don't get eight feet in the paint and what I mean by eight feet is four people crash in the glass, we'll give them a negative point. Um, anything just, you know, you can say a lot of stuff, but unless you emphasize it in practice, whether it's a certain action or it's a concept or whatever, guys won't do it. Um, so if we're going to say, Hey, we're going to, we need to get eight feet in the paint. We need to penalize them when they don't do it. Um, and then reward them when they do it correctly, uh, get eight feet in the paint, get an offensive rebound. So if a guy puts a shot up eight feet in the paint, offensive rebound, you know, kick it out, they hit a three, they get four points on that possession. Um, you know, anything that we want to emphasize, we'll kind of do it, but our big things are turnovers and, and offensive rebounds. Football is in full effect, with many teams starting their stuff early. The NBA Finals are here, and the MLB playoffs are in full swing. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Bet BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on everything imaginable this season. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any place online. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Bet online, your online sports book experts. Hey coaches, brief interruption from our podcast to hear from manscape.com. 2020 has been the year of things happening that are completely out of your control, but there is one thing that you can control and that's shaving your bush. You may be surprised how many coaches have already DM me about this special offer. I wasn't because I'm a user and manscape.com is definitely worth it. Our sponsors at Manscaped are here to remind you to do so. The Manscaped Lawnmower 3.0 is a premium electric trimmer that's designed to give you a confidence boost through body image. Their ceramic blade and skin safe technology are designed to reduce nicks and tugs on your fellows down low. The Lawnmower 3.0 is also waterproof and comes with an LED light so you can manscape in the shower, in the dark, or in a dark shower, whatever floats your boat. Go to manscaped.com and check out some of these life-changing products. In fact, listeners of this show will get 20% off plus free shipping with the code armchair at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code armchair. It's time to grab 2020 by the horns by shaving that front trunk. Now back to the podcast. 
Coach, I mean, I love, I love hearing this. Like, again, even if I don't run Princeton, so much of what you've said already applies to just offense in general. And that's what I've always loved about studying Princeton, the triangle, two guard, the beeline system, as you talked about, that there's all these concepts and all these things that come from it, whether it's phrasing or just methodology that applies to offense. And, you know, you've talked about all these different influences that you've blended already with the dribble drive and uh, the, you know, fast break type of situations. And, uh, can you just talk about that in terms of influence and how, how important that is to not stay rigid in one system? I, I was very fortunate, um, you know, j- just talking about influences, like I said earlier, very fortunate to be exposed to some good offensive coaches early on. Um, and then, and I'll go through some of those, like Bob Montana, and, and you may not, I feel like unless you're in, New York or New England in, in the 1990s or, or 2000s, uh, you may not know who Bob Montana is, who was the head coach at Union College in Schenectady, New York, and I was fortunate enough to work for him. And he had an unbelievable mind for the offensive side of the basketball. He was actually friends with, with John Beeline, and you know John Beeline kind of came up with a two-guard offense. Bob Montana kind of came up with his own system as well, where very similar to a two-guard or a Princeton, you know, um, different things led to different things. You know, if a pass on the wing, you know, if you're on the wing with the ball and you pass in the corner, a key to different action than that guy passed up top. Uh, and that was the first time I'd ever been exposed to anything like that. And that, that, that's, I just absolutely loved it and fell in love with it. I only worked for him for one year um, before I went to Eastern Kentucky. And then, you know, I went to Eastern Kentucky and had the opportunity to work with Jeff Neubauer, who, offensive mind and coach, and, and it was great, especially John Beeline and his influences on, on Neubauer and, you know, Ted Hotelling, who's the head coach of New Haven now, was on that staff. And, I, I mean, I, I was just a sponge listening to everything. He probably doesn't even realize, um, you know, how much I remember what he said. And he had come from the Ivy League where they had gone against Princeton. Uh, and I think Columbia was running, you know, way back then. It was one running Princeton as well and just listen to him do the scouts against Sanford um, and just soaking up, soaking up different things. And then, you know, I, I went to, to work for Dave Paulson at Williams college and here I was a relatively young coach and David already won a national championship. And he's out there, you know, asking me about these different offenses and how we can implement it into his, his system. And I just thought that was unbelievable. And that was great that he allowed me. Um, so as I've become, and I saw all, and they were all different styles of offense. Um, and then as I became a head coach, you know, trying this process and kind of figuring out during, you know, running two guard, running dribble drive, running Princeton, running just, you know, basically the point series out of Princeton, you know, all these different things um, has made me kind of realize that I can't just, hey, let's just do the same thing every year. Uh, let's, you know, keep being, you know, energized by different things that you may be able to throw in there. I'm not, I'm not in the position right now where I'm obviously working for other guys uh, as a head coach myself. So, you know, I, I, I try to go back and watch my Sanford stuff. I watch Richmond stuff. Um, I mean, this summer I was introduced, even Maine Maritime Academy I, I found on YouTube was running a bunch of Princeton stuff just so I can kind of tweak it and, and stay fresh and, and watch some different things and, and maybe implement that. Everything I've, uh, you know, we run now, it's um, that there's probably a few, uh, you know, unique ideas that I've thrown in, but a lot of the stuff is just obviously stolen from other guys and kind of meshed all together. And um, so we're trying to obviously continue to do that and, 
And I think my assistants know that too. They're always bringing me different ideas and running stuff by me. And I think it, you know, makes the office pretty fun. Um, absolutely. It makes it fun. It makes it fun to coach and learn and do all these things that you get to do. So coach, I mean, obviously your success is tremendous. And, uh, you know, I, I, honestly, I could just put the words Princeton next to the podcast. And I know it'd get, get well listened to too. So I posted some questions to uh, Twitter prior to this, just grateful for all the listeners and supporters, but I know there's a ton of people that love Princeton is the point. So I'm going to ask a few of those because I thought they came up with some really cool questions to be able to ask you. Right. Uh, what what are the teaching points between passer and cutter that you emphasize on the back cut? On the back cut, uh, no, number one is uh, hopefully our guys. I mean, we teach our guys to cut 100% every time, which we know it's boring to work on cutting, but that's what the Princeton offense is, is based on, is cutting. If you can't cut well, um, it's not going to work. I mean, everything's based off of that. So our passer needs to know that that guy's cutting as hard as he can. And we say to the opposite side of the rim when we reject it on a, on a um, kind of backdoor vacuum cut, whatever you want to, whatever you want to call it, uh, read the defender. Like he usually goes hard for a couple, for a couple steps. And then he thinks the play's over. He's done his job and he'll relax, but read that defender. And when he starts slowing down, that's when that pass might be open. And we call it a midnight pass um, because it's open late. So we're always, you know, uh, you know, we're always saying, hey, look for the midnight, look for the midnight. Um, so that pass is open late. Very rarely um, is it open early. And, and, and I'll say this, too, is, you know, traditionally it's thought of isn't necessarily part of the, uh, the question. We'll throw a lot of over the top backdoor passes um, mm-hmm. rather than the traditional, you know, um, you know, uh, bounce pass for the back door. We'll, and we teach those things. We think it allows our guys to kind of put it in um, easier to kind of put in the square where it needs to go. Uh, kind of like a wide receiver defensive back, almost a little bit, throw it over top um, with a little arc. Um, so we'll do a lot of our passes like that and then try to read where that guy's going to be and see what the defenders, when he starts slowing down is when you really start have to look for that, uh, for that pass. I love that. And that shows a lot of flexibility within, again, this is traditionally what it is, but here's how the game actually needs to be played now. And then again, the dribble drive taught us a little bit about that, about throwing it to the rim versus throwing that traditional dump bounce pass that used to be the norm. And it's like either or, or what's the best decision now. And I assume that's what it is for your players that they have to make a decision between the bounce and the over the top pass. Absolutely. Um, And, you know, a lot of the stuff that, that we see within the way we play Princeton again, Um, we find that it's just that over the top, um, backdoor passes is just more successful. And I think because of that, you know, our guys, not only do we drill it, but our guys are able to see, you know, guys that maybe this is, this is the year where they play more have been able to see, Hey, this is what so-and-so did or so-and-so did and it was successful. And it just kind of, you know, kind of breeds itself a little bit where this is the type of pass and and how you need to put that pass. Um, but they do have, I mean, if someone threw a backdoor pass on a bounce pass and, and it went through, I wouldn't be upset about it. Um, you know, but I think it just makes for a smaller window. Uh, some guys I think aren't as good, even though we drill it, aren't as good with that in terms of leading a guy that's making a hard cut. I think it's a little easier to put a little air under it, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe again, I'm thinking too much about it, but it's, it's worked for us. So we'll stick with it a little bit. 
Oh, that's awesome. Love to hear that thought process in that way. And there was a number of questions about transitioning between phases of the Princeton offense and what cues do you use? Right. Well, um, we, we don't really use any, any cues, um, but in terms of uh, just having, I guess you mean within the half court, I was going to say, obviously. Yeah. Within the half court. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we don't really use any cues. I mean, it's always for us. And again, we probably run it a little differently. I mean, we do get stuff early on, but if we do have to run it over, um, that's where we'll actually end up finding having different guys in the five-man uh, pinch post position where someone might be screening down. And now that guy is coming off the down screen. He catches it. He sees that he doesn't have a shot. Um, and he'll see the uh, four around one, which is basically it. And then he'll just call for that guy to come back up into the pinch post. And that guy will know because we drill it, uh, depending on which situation we're in, whether he has to go up to the opposite pinch post because there's only one guy over there, uh, or if he'll have to come up to the same side. Um, or we'll push it a lot too. So we run through it once. We don't have enough time, what we call push. We don't have enough time to send another brush cutter through uh, to kind of initiate that pinch post action. So we just push everybody over a little bit and then have that guy just a naked cut up the rail to the pinch post and hit him there so we can get right back into, uh, you know, going over away. So. Yeah. So what, that's great. And one, one coach kind of commented and basically said that they have to treat each of the phases of the Princeton as like separate sets initially to be able to kind of get players to understand it before they create the flow. So I think what you're saying makes sense in that. It, I mean, the more you play and the more you practice with it, especially in these five on five situations, the better they're going to get. Right. Exactly. And, and we do some things differently than some other Princeton teams. Um, you know, a lot of we kind of set a little drift screen or, or whatever. We, we, we don't do any of that. We're more of a, um, kind of down screen, you know, but we don't get any flares on uh, the, the only screens that we really set are maybe those, you know, split screens for the tight girls or we get a down screen. Um, you know, when a guy comes off a ball screen, we'll have the five man roll. Um, if he's not open, he'll actually get out to the same side corner. Um, so we do things a little differently once it, once kind of the initial actions are over. And by doing that over and over and over, and we do a lot of five on O stuff. Uh, our guys just kind of get used to seeing uh, the different ways that we can get into our actions, whether it is in a brush cutter through again, push it over so we can run up that rail, whatever it may be. So it's, again, it's just drilling, 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 um, learning from your mistakes, uh, getting some mental reps if you're not in at that time um, so that you can understand kind of the flow. Um, you know, it's, and that, that's the way it is. You know, I'll get a lot of, you know, coaches, specifically high school coaches will ask me about Princeton, ask me to send all the diagrams that, you know, that I have. And I literally don't have any because I feel like if I sat down and just did all the diagrams for Princeton, there's so many different options. And, and we do what we say, diversify all our options. Um, so we're mixing up things all the time. Um, I mean, I, I would just be doing diagrams all day. So, and, you, and you don't truly know what's going to happen on a possession. You don't truly know because there's gonna automatics. Happen. And you said, I think the term you use is ball talks, right? The ball talks. The ball talks. Yeah. yeah. So there's a lot of situations where depending on what the ball does, um, 
you know, that key is the next action. Everybody's on the same page. You know, there's some situations where you might get a ball on the wing and you might take a dribble and that would key a different action than if that guy just threw the ball to the top. Uh, the ball talks. So you have to make sure that uh, you know what's going on while you're out there on the court. Um, but yeah, the ball is going to talk for you. Less of a challenge for you based on recruiting and the type of roster you want to put together, but a high school coach, club coach, uh, they might not have all shooters. So in your experience, what are some ways to be able to use a non-shooter within the offense? Right. And, and we have, we have to make sure that we have enough shooters and we obviously like to recruit shooters because then teams will just go zone. We haven't seen a lot of zone. Um, number one, because we have some shooters also number, I think number two is because we go against zone every day in practice with our own zone. Um, but we still have guys that aren't necessarily knockdown shooters and especially guys that can post. I mean, we've talked a lot about it today. If you can do something well, whether it's post up, or whether you can uh, drive and get to the rim, um, you know, you, you can be successful individually within the Princeton offense. Um, so there's that, that's what I'm talking about, tweaking it to, to different things. It doesn't all have to be, um, you know, just back doors and threes. Uh, you can drive and get to the rim. You can post up. Um, but I think offensively, you do have to be um, good at one of those things. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be uh, all of those things. But if you can be good at one of those things, I think it can help. And you mentioned zone. Do you, do you run the same stuff versus zone? We don't. Um, no, and, and that's a good question. We don't, uh, we run more motion. We have some continuity and obviously a few sets. Um, you know, the interesting thing is, is, uh, we run a three, two zone, which we never see really. Uh, so we do run, it's nice to be able to run some motion, but our motion has to be a little different against three, two than it might be against the, a two, three, um, which is typically, uh, what we may see a two, three if we do see a zone um but no we uh we, we are different what's the uh what's been the hardest uh, what's been the toughest defensive strategy to play against in your experience over all of your years yeah um let's hope all the uh, american rivers conference <laughs> coaches aren't listening right now they're banned um, from this yeah yeah they're banned no i you know i think what what's been the toughest for us and I think it's kind of a combination teams that are really physical with us and um, officials that allow um, that to go on. And, and, and I know that that happens. I mean, that, that's part of the game. I'm by no means, um, you know, everything's different. Um, but if you look at some of the games that we've lost the, the, the past couple of years, um, I mean, WashU did a great job defensively against us in the second, second round. And I mean, WashU, those guys are big and strong and, and we're really physical with us. Um, I, I think it's, you know, I, I faced Pat uh, in the national championship game when he was at Wisconsin Oshkosh. Um, similar, you know, similar type of defense, obviously, um, both with obviously really good players. Uh, had more success that time uh, than, than this past time because they were really physical with us on our cutters. Um, you know, I'm obviously trying to tell the officials we have some freedom of movement we're allowed. Um, but I think those type of teams – that are really physical with us um, and where the officials let the guys play a little bit, um, you know, is a little different. Uh, so we don't necessarily see as much of that. I mean, there's, there's teams that obviously heat us up a lot, um, but there's a difference between just heating guys up and then just being super physical 
uh, with the team. And I think those truly physical teams, to be honest with you, um, where they're just grabbing and pulling at you while you're trying to cut or, or tight curl or whatever. Um, you know, I think that's, that's probably been the toughest, um, to be honest for us. Uh, it makes sense. And that applies to most offenses too. So yeah, no, no, I agree. <laughs> no and, doubt. And yeah, and I, I'm not, that's, they've done yeah. a good job. I mean, St. Thomas, um, you know, we, we've had a great run the past three years, but we have not had a great run the past uh, three years against St. Thomas. Um, and they're not an overly big team, but they're obviously just a well-coached and physical, tough, strong team. And, and um, you know, that that's what they did against us as well. You've kind of talked about this, but just to bring it home for some of the high school coaches that have asked, because I got this a number of times too, is just like in terms of the complexity of the Princeton offense, how would you teach it at the high school level? And you've kind of talked about that, that you would focus on one series and get really good at that one series. Is that fair to say? That is fair to say. Um, you know, when I do talk to high school coaches, I, I also, I mean, I lead with what I said earlier. Like we go 75, 80% of the time on offense and some right. coaches, and I'm fine with it. I'm not saying they're wrong, um, um, aren't willing to do that. But if I think if you want to do it, you really have to focus on it a lot because there are so many intricacies within it. Now, Having said that, and it sounds contradictory, but, um, you know, we also, we say dummy it down, not because our guys aren't, you know, don't have basketball IQ, but we try to dummy it down to allow us to play a little bit faster. Um, so, you know, we really focus, and I always tell this, I think this is great for, uh, you know, high school coaches or, or, or team, and we do this ourselves, or teams that are looking to run the Princeton. As I mean, we started out very basic with 3 on 0 where – you know, you have a passer, you have a five man, you have a guy in the wing, you can start out, you know, going away or you can go over the five man to the corner. What, uh, either way, and we'll go three on oh, and we just tell those guys, here's what we're looking at right here. We're going to hit the midnight pass right here on the vacuum cut. We're going to hit what we call a step back. So if that guy cuts hard and he sucks the defenders down, that guy's swinging his leg back, uh, we're going to hit that guy for a shot. We're telling those guys, just spoon feeding it to them. Um, you know, now we're going to go tight curl. We're, we're going to hit them on the cut here. Now we're going to go tight curl. You know, we're going to hit that guy in the post and we're telling him, and then we'll go up to three on O where, Hey, now we're not telling you like it would be a game. And now you have to kind of read, even though there's no defense, but you have to make those decisions. And then we go three on one where we have a defender on the five man. So, and we want that guy to heat him up, try to get a deflection, do all they can. There's only defender. So do all they can to try to take away that pass. But the five-man knows that if he can get it by that guy, the guy's going to catch it, whether it's a midnight pass. You know, now you're faking a pass to make a pass, um, all those things. Uh, and then we, you know, we'll, uh, we'll go to three on two. Again, we can go away and we can go over with that point action. Uh, we're going three on two where now the five-man doesn't have a defender on him. Um, so he, you know, has the luxury now of being able to make, maybe he has to thread a needle on a pass or put a little air under it to put it in that square on a backdoor cut, whatever it may be. But obviously the guys, um, you know, at that split screen, you know, we call split screen, have defenders on them. Uh, and then we obviously put it together with three on three. And that takes time. Like that, that doesn't all happen in one day. That happens over the course of, you know, whatever it may be, a week and a half, two weeks, whatever. Uh, and we're very slow, uh, and we will be this year, even though we're not playing for a while, at putting that stuff in 
Uh, last year, we had a very experienced team. We go a little bit faster, but we're going to be younger this year. We go very slow at kind of putting those things in. And then from that, um, going into the 5-0 and situation. Um, but we really have to break it down a lot. And that's just within the point series. Um, you know, so I do think focusing on one, um, you know, is definitely would be key, especially at the high school level where they might not be able to have maybe as much time as maybe some other places. Oh, great insights and uh, tremendous, tremendous sharing, Coach. I can't thank you enough for taking time to be able to share all of your insights. And uh, obviously, the success speaks for itself. Oh, well, no, thank you for having me on here. This is great. I mean, it's, you know what, this is like the perfect time of practice starting this week and just being able to talk basketball and and it's it's been awesome. It's been really good. So hopefully somebody got something from all this. So I, I enjoy talking about it. And, and uh, yeah, hopefully somebody uh, took something from it. I really appreciate you having me on here. It's great. All right, there's no question they did. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. And to give the Basketball Podcast and this week's guest a shout-out on social media to show your support for us sharing the game. And to stay up to date on all things basketball immersion, Subscribe to our newsletter at basketballmersion.com newsletter.